Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Is Jesus Christ the single most important thing in your life? Is everything else in your life worthless compared to knowing Jesus? As Christians, few of us have ever gotten to this place of understanding and love for Christ. Let's open up now to Philippians chapter 3 and see the remarkable example of this amazing truth in our spiritual father, the Apostle Paul. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It's a Friday morning here in uh, Texas. Hope everyone is doing well. Today we're going to discuss Philippians 3. It's going to be a two-part teaching. We're going to do 1 to 16 today. I hope to get through verse 9. My wife and I just got back from a uh, week-long trip in Colorado and it was uh, it really was an incredible time we were with brothers and sisters in Christ my sister Lisa and my brothers John and Jason and and we really did have a uh, an amazing time in the Rocky Mountains and the so I don't know if you've ever been there um, but just experiencing Christ in that way along with the the fellowship that we had was uh, really was a good time and uh, you know we were blessed to have it we discussed verse 13 while we were there. We won't get to that today, but I had been discussing it with, uh, with, with my brothers and sisters, with John and Lisa and Jason and May. You know, Paul says in verse 13 that, that the one thing that he does is, is forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. And I actually have this verse as, I use it as my home screen and I'm asking the Lord to, to help me to live in this, just forgetting what is behind uh, pretty much all the problems we have emotionally or every, all the things we struggle with is because we're remembering something in our past and in uh, and, and your past and my past has been purchased and paid for by Christ, right? We wish we would have done things different or better or wish things wouldn't have happened or we were hurt Whatever it is, Paul says that he forgets what's behind and is straining toward what is ahead. Um, and, and we want that to be our heart. And imagine the freedom we would live in and walk in if we could actually do it. And nothing bothers me because I've forgotten it. I don't even remember it. And there's a principle in there that, that we really do want to walk in and ask the Lord to help us to walk in. So, But today we're going to do verses uh, one through nine. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read it and uh, we'll get right into it. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the word of God. Father, I thank you for, uh, for your mercy and goodness on our, on our lives. Lord, I thank you for my big brother, Keith Myers, who I prayed with this morning and who prayed with me over this podcast. And uh, Father, we just love you and bless you and thank you. We invite you into this time, Holy Spirit. We ask you to lead us and guide us as we open the word of God now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. 
It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The first question we always ask ourselves over and over and over when we come to the scripture is why is this in the Bible? The Holy Spirit decided that this would be scripture. It was written down by the Apostle Paul, but it was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. So he chose to make this scripture. And so we ask ourselves, why is this in the Bible? In Romans 15, 4, says that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us or instruct us. It's not just written to be a, a fun story. It's not just written so that we read it and move on. We want to see what this has to teach us or instruct us. And then 1 Corinthians 10 verses 6 and 11 say that these things are written down as examples to us. So we want to see what the example is here to us. Verse 1, Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. We have an exhortation here from Paul, the first to rejoice in the Lord. How much time do you spend taking joy in Jesus? If you were to do uh, an examination of your life, how much time each day, and for most of us it might not happen, but once a week, once a month, if ever. But how much time do you spend rejoicing in Jesus? The old church fathers used to tell us to remind ourselves of the gospel on a daily basis. They used to say, preach the gospel to yourself. Meaning out loud each day, just remind yourself what Jesus has done for you. Share the gospel with yourself. Jesus, I remember that you lived a, a perfect life for me. Jesus, I remember that you died a perfect death for me. Jesus, I remember that you are alive and risen. Jesus, I remember that you took the punishment that I deserved on the cross. Jesus, I remember that you gave me and credited me with your perfect righteous life. And I remember that all of my sin and wickedness and disobedience was credited to you. Jesus, I thank you for that exchange 
the heart of the Christian gospel, the exchange of my completely sinful life for your perfect righteous life, Lord. I thank you for living for me, Jesus. I thank you for dying for me, Jesus. I thank you that you are alive and risen, Jesus. I thank you that you saved me. I thank you that you love me, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, Paul said. I, I confess that it's not something I at all do enough. What do you rejoice in, right? Do you rejoice in the Lord or do you rejoice in uh, Netflix? Do you rejoice in the Lord or do you rejoice, rejoice in your hobbies? And uh, uh, Most of us take far more pleasure in things in this life than we do in the Lord. And, and certainly I am guilty of that myself. But the closer you grow in relationship with Jesus, I was talking to my brother Keith about this this morning, just the more joy you'll have in it, right? Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. A product of your relationship with Jesus and your intimacy with Jesus is to have joy in him, to rejoice in him, and to just think about, man, you're going to go to heaven one day. If you've received Jesus as your savior, if you've called on him and said, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart, to be the Lord of my life, to save me from my sin, to bring me to heaven when I die. If you've placed your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your only Lord and Savior, your sins are forgiven. Jesus lives in you. God the Father is your heavenly Father. The Holy Spirit is your comforter and counselor. And you will one day leave this life. And the moment you leave this life, the very moment you take your last breath, you'll be taken into the presence of God in heaven. That's something to rejoice about. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now look what Paul says. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. There's a principle in here that Paul is saying, you know, I've told you these things before, I've written them to you before, and I'll write them again and again and again. Do you have a lifestyle of safeguarding the word of God and the son of God in other people. What I mean is, are you like Paul and you say to your wife, to your children, uh, to your church, to your family, um, to your colleagues, do you have a heart that is no trouble for you to write or say the same things again and again about Jesus? Right? I was sharing with my brother Tom at the, uh, the Bible study yesterday. I said, you know, when your son Nicholas is is struggling or having a bad day or he's frustrated with something or he, his life is not as he would have it. And we all get in these places. I said, Tom, tell him, you know, tell him, hey, Nick, why don't you go and rejoice in Jesus? Why don't you go think about Jesus? Why don't you go think about all the blessings that the Lord has given you? Why don't you go rejoice in, in the fact that he saved you? Rejoice in your good health. Rejoice in all the good things you have. Um... And be a safeguard to your son. Who are you a safeguard to? Do you have a lifestyle of writing or speaking the same things again and again? Are you like Paul? It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you. And it is a safeguard for you. We looked up the word safeguard, right? To safeguard something, to protect it. So... You want to be a safeguard in Christ. 
You want your your lifestyle to be one where you consistently safeguard. My brother Keith Myers this morning was safeguarding me and reminding me of different aspects of end time theology. And it was a safeguard to me. It reminded me that, uh, that Jesus is coming and, uh, and that's exciting in all that goes into that. So who do you safeguard? You want to have a lifestyle of speaking to people, of writing to people about the word of God and the son of God over and over and over and over. And it's good for them to hear it. Paul said, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and it is a safeguard for you. So, so let's be like our, our spiritual father, the Apostle Paul, and really remind people, again, of the Word of God, of the Son of God, of the Gospel of God. It's a good thing for us to hear it. Safeguard yourself by reminding yourself. And it's a good thing for you to share it with others. Thank you, Lord. Verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Verse 3, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. So what is Paul talking about here? Uh, Paul is telling you to watch out. My brother Tom Letty will enjoy this. Paul is telling you to watch out for those who want to add to the finished work of the cross. There were people coming in and trying to convince the people that in order to be saved, they needed not only to trust in Jesus and to receive Jesus as their savior and to believe in Jesus as their savior, but they needed to be circumcised. That as a man, you needed to be circumcised physically. And we know what that means, right? You, you needed to make sure that the foreskin of your penis was cut away. Now, Circumcision is a good thing, right? Um, medically, we're told that it's healthy, uh, it's good for you, but it means nothing at all when it comes to your relationship with God. In the Old Testament, God made a, a covenant with Abraham through circumcision, right? And, and circumcision, although it was the circumcision we're speaking about of, of a man circumcising or being circumcised at his penis, um, it represented a circumcision of your heart, a cutting away of all that was not of God, that you might have intimate relationship with Jesus. Now, in Jesus Christ, circumcision physically doesn't mean anything at all. Okay, When you come to Jesus Christ and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus comes and lives in your heart by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God. Paul says in verse 3, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. When he says in the flesh, he's saying in physical circumcision. When the Spirit of God comes and lives in you, when you get saved, he circumcises your heart spiritually. He cuts away all the deadness and he brings life. You're, you're born again. Spiritual life comes and lives inside of you. And you're circumcised in your heart, in your spirit. And, and that's glory to Christ, right? 
Paul says there's no confidence in the flesh. Now, there's a principle here beyond circumcision. These, these people were saying again, Jesus is not enough. Okay? Salvation, being saved from our sin, comes from faith alone in Christ alone. And it is by God's grace alone. We don't earn it at all, nor can we add to it. There's nothing you can do to be saved and go to heaven. None of your works help you to be saved. All the good things you do, which are wonderful, we are called to live a life of good deeds as Christians, but none of them save us. None of them help save us. Not a bit. Okay. We are saved again by God's grace alone through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And because of that, we cannot boast at all. We cannot stand before Jesus, our Heavenly Father, and we cannot give a resume of all that we've done. None of that helps save us. We are desperate. We are hopeless. We have to rely completely on what Jesus has done in our place and on our behalf at the cross to be saved. When Jesus went to the cross and he stretched out his two hands, you nailed the left spike, I nailed the right one. Okay? We put those nails in his hands and he stretched out his hands and loved us. And what he was doing is you're putting your faith in his death to save you from your sin, to take away your sin. And that's the only way your sin can be removed completely forgiven and taken away, your past, present, and future sin is when you put your trust in what Jesus has done. You call on him. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called on Jesus? Have you said, Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinful man or woman, and, uh, and Lord, I confess I cannot save myself. Lord, I know that nothing I do will take away my sin. But Jesus, I believe you lived a perfect life for me and I believe you died a perfect death for me and I believe you are alive and risen. Therefore, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you, Jesus, to be the Lord of my life. I ask you, Jesus, to save me from my sin, to bring me to heaven when I die and to be my everlasting Lord and God. Jesus, I place all my faith and trust and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you call on the name of the Lord. You call on the name of Jesus and you, you ask him to save you and be the Lord of your life. And, and you do that out of believing in Jesus that he died for you and gave his life for you. And he did that because you needed it desperately. There is no other way for any human being to have their sins forgiven except Jesus Christ and him alone. Now, that's what the scripture teaches. That's what Paul is saying here clearly. Without Jesus Christ, if you do not have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you cannot be forgiven of your sin, you cannot go to heaven, and regrettably, hell is the only other place. Now, I'm not happy about that. But only in Jesus Christ. So yes, 
If you're a Muslim today, you need to receive Jesus as your savior. It's the only hope you have. If you're a Buddhist today, you need to receive Jesus as your only Lord and savior. It's the only hope you have. If you're in Hinduism today, you need to receive Jesus. He's the only hope you have. It's Jesus that matters and only Jesus. If you're an agnostic today, an agnostic is someone who's on the fence. An agnostic is someone who says, you know, well, I'm not sure about the whole God thing. I think there's a God, but I'm not sure. Your only hope is Jesus. You need to receive Jesus as your only Lord and Savior. doesn't even matter what you call yourself. You need Jesus. And if you're an atheist today, an atheist, an atheist, a theist is someone who believes in God. You're a theist. An A hyphen theist is someone who doesn't believe in God. You need Jesus as well. He's the only hope you have for the forgiveness of your sin and the salvation of your soul. God has given his word. I wish everyone went to heaven. I do. But I don't make the rules. Millions of people in this world, Melanie, are trying to make the Bible fit their lives. People try to twist the scripture to make it fit what they want to believe. Our duty is not to make the Bible fit our lives. We need to, to fit our lives to the Bible. We need to fit our belief to the Bible. We need to believe what the Bible says plainly and clearly. We cannot just make up our own beliefs and then try to twist the Bible to say that. We have to simply believe the word of God. And God has given his word that only in Jesus Christ, only in receiving him as your Lord and Savior, can your sins be forgiven and can you go to heaven. Without Jesus, no one will see heaven. That's what it says. So the most loving thing we can do is to share that with people because we want them to have their sins forgiven. We want them to come into a relationship with God as their heavenly father and Jesus as their Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit as their counselor and comforter. That's the gospel. And you cannot add to it. No circumcision, no works, Nothing you do can help you to be saved. You have to throw yourself at the foot of the cross and trust in Jesus Christ alone. If you'll do that, the Holy Spirit will come and live in your heart and you'll worship God by the Spirit of God. You don't worship God by anything you do physically. Verse 3, for it is we who are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God. Jesus has circumcised your heart if he's living inside you. And you worship by his Holy Spirit. And we glory in Christ Jesus. Our glory, our excitement, our rejoicing is in Jesus. Not, Stephen, in anything we do. Yes, we need to live our lives moment by moment, day by day, living for Jesus, loving for Jesus, giving for Jesus, and forgiving for Jesus. But we do that because we love him. We do it because it's right. But none of that helps save us. We don't take glory in any of that. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, I ask you to help us today and everyone who hears this around the world to put their faith and their hope and their confidence fully, totally, and only in Jesus Christ as their only Lord and Savior. Have mercy, Father. Open the hearts of people around the world that they may know Jesus and receive him and be saved today and live for him, Lord, not to add to their salvation, Lord, but they, they might love Jesus, that we might love Jesus and live for him because he loves us. Lord, I ask you to rebuke the enemy and the confusion in this matter and that all would come to know Jesus, even as your word says, Father, that it's your will that, that all men be saved, right? What is it, 1 Timothy 2, 4 maybe? Thank you, Lord Jesus. So Paul says to watch out for people. You want to watch out for anyone who is saying that works save you, okay? There's nothing you can do to work off your sin debt. Good doesn't take away bad. So there's nothing you can do to help take away your sin. Many people in the world have this idea of a scale. God's going to put my good on one side of the scale. He's going to put my bad on the other. Hopefully the good outweighs the bad. Doesn't work that way. Never has worked that way. If I'm driving my car along the road today, do 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 and I just blow through that red light and the policeman pulls me over, when he comes to me and he starts writing me a ticket, I can't say to him, but officer, I've been good. I didn't run the last hundred red lights. He's going to say to me, that doesn't matter, John. All the good I did in obeying that law that good would not take away the bad. And he would write me a ticket and I would have to pay my debt to society for running this red light. Right? Because good doesn't take away bad. In the state of Texas, if I go out and murder somebody, right? And I'm arrested. And I stand before the judge. I can't say, but your honor, judge, wait a minute. Look at all the good I've done. I'm a pastor and I teach and I do all these other things. None of that would matter because good doesn't take away bad. We, we need to do good, but in no way does it help save us. Can it help save us? We can only be saved in Christ. And in the state of Texas, if someone murders somebody, you'll spend life in prison or be executed because good doesn't take away bad. We need to be saved and our only hope for our sins to be forgiven is in Jesus Christ, our only Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, Paul says none of this. You cannot add anything to the cross of Christ. But in verse 4, he says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Verse 5, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, confidence in what you're doing, in your circumcision, your own good works, he says, verse 5, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. Verse 6, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Okay, Paul gives his resume here. Paul is saying, that before I came to Christ, 
I had the perfect resume. And there's a principle in here. Many of us, um, we look back on our lives and we again have all these regrets. We have all these frustrations. Paul, imagine you had the most perfect life ever before you came to Jesus. Imagine you did everything perfectly as Paul is saying he did. Paul said he did it so good that if anyone else could put confidence in the flesh, he could do it more. Now he's going to go on and say it counts for nothing. It's trash. Do you look at your past, everything in your past? Do you look at everything that hasn't come from Christ as trash? Think about that. Paul said that everything that he had, before Christ, he counts it as trash, as garbage, as rubbish. He did everything the Old Testament said to do better than anyone else. The Bible said that. Paul, Paul says he has more reasons to put confidence in his own good works. He did everything that the Old Testament said to do, but none of that was ever meant to save you. Even in the Old Testament, the Bible said that a Savior would come. A Messiah would come and you were saved by putting your faith and hope and trust in the Messiah that would come. You looked forward to the cross in the Old Testament. You and I have put our faith and trust and confidence in the Messiah that has come. We look back to the cross. Before Christ, you put your faith in the word of God that a Messiah was to come and you were saved. You and I put our faith in the Messiah that has come. We look back to the cross. The same cross, the same death of Christ saves everybody. And that's a whole separate podcast. Okay. Paul here gives a resume of all that he did. And he ends it by saying, as for legalistic righteousness, for doing what the Bible said to do in the Old Testament, he said he was faultless. Verse 7, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. For the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, trash, garbage, that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, and be found in him, Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, from doing good, from doing good works. Not having a righteousness of my own, a self-righteousness that comes from the law, from doing good, but that which is through faith in Christ, trusting in Christ, believing in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith, not by works, not by circumcision, not by anything you do. Wow. C.S. Lewis said that the Christian gospel, this truth that we're talking about here, the exchange of the cross, could never have been made up in the mind of man. Every other religion in the world Every other religion in the world is man-made except for biblical Christianity. And listen, I know that's a hard thing to say, but that's what the Bible teaches. 
I don't, I don't, we don't have the luxury. We're, we're told the truth in the word of God. The word of God makes it clear. Only true biblical Christianity, the son of God, Jesus Christ, as the foundation of all things, the cornerstone of all things is the truth. Every other religion there ever has been or ever will be is made up in the minds of people, men and women. Biblical Christianity comes from God. It comes from the heavenly father. It comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and it is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Thank you, Father, for the truth. That's what the Bible teaches. Thank you, Lord. Paul said that everything in his life that didn't come from Christ is trash. Now, I confess that, um, I, confess that I don't live this way. And Father, I ask you to forgive me. I do not consider, what did Paul say here? What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Father, I ask you to help us. I ask you to help us to begin today to have eyes to see this remarkable truth that really nothing matters in our life compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Nothing matters, not my not, not your wife, not your children, not your home, not your job, not your ministry, not your money. Nothing matters. Nothing matters at all. Now listen, uh, of course we need to love our wives and our children and our ministries and our churches and all these things. All I'm simply confessing here is I have not, I don't think I'm anywhere close to this. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. No wonder he could say rejoice in the Lord over and over and over and over because a person who's arrived at this point, who's even on the road to this point of seeing the value of Christ, that he can say, I consider them trash, garbage, rubbish. That person just rejoices in Jesus. And Father, I ask you to help us as a church today to begin to walk in these things. Again, we want to walk in them that we may know Jesus and experience him and love him and walk in him. None of these things save us. We're saved completely and entirely by what Jesus has done and only by what Jesus has done. But as we begin to grow up in Jesus, we begin to see, apparently, that nothing else matters but Jesus. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Nothing else matters but Christ. Verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Wow. For whose sake I have lost everything. Father, you haven't, you haven't required us to apparently lose everything, but we thank you for our father, Paul, who lost everything, who was happy to give everything, didn't have food, didn't, didn't matter to him as long as he had Christ. Holy Spirit, I ask you to begin to open our eyes that we can love Jesus in this way that our father, Paul, has and did. 
Lord, I ask you to help us to truly understand that everything else is trash in our lives. All that matters is knowing Christ. And if we love other people, all that matters is that they know Christ and they grow in their love for him. That's all that matters. I consider them rubbish. And we'll end here. What does he mean that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. There are three types of righteousness in the scripture. The scripture revealed to us three different types of righteousness. There is a self-righteousness, there is an imputed righteousness, and there is a lifestyle righteousness. And the beauty of this section of scripture is it has all three. Okay? Throughout the scripture, you will find three types of righteousness. Okay? Verse 9. And be found in him, Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That's a self-righteousness. Okay? Self-righteousness is when you're trusting in yourself, in your own righteous life, in your own good deeds and the things you do right, when you're trusting in that for your salvation, that's a self-righteousness. Paul says he wants to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of his own. We want to completely abandon any self-righteousness we have in any way. It's not of God in any manner or in any way. Self-righteousness will never help us in any way. It's sin. Paul does not want to have a righteousness of his own. Throughout the scripture, you'll find different cases of a self-righteousness. And God is always warning us against self-righteousness. Paul does not want to have any self-righteousness, doesn't want to have any trust in the things he does. We want to live our lives in a righteous way. As Christians, the most important thing we can do after being saved is to really day in and day out, work to have a lifestyle righteousness. A lifestyle righteousness is that you just have a lifestyle, moment by moment, day by day, of doing what's right. You, you think about what's right so you can do what's right simply because it's right. That's a lifestyle righteousness. You just want to do what's right in every situation. Now, you're not doing it to be saved you're doing it because you're saved. You're doing it because you love Jesus, but you know it has nothing to do with your salvation. It's just the way that God has called you to live. That's a lifestyle righteousness. Now, interestingly enough, the scripture is clear that you cannot have any genuine lifestyle righteousness until you have what's called imputed righteousness. So you see the three righteousness. Self-righteousness, lifestyle righteousness, but in between them is this thing called imputed righteousness. And we see it here in verse 9. Paul wants to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of his own that comes from the law or doing good or doing what God says to do. You're not made right with God. You're not forgiven of your sin by what you do right. That's a self-righteousness. But that which is through faith in Christ... When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are credited with the perfect righteous life that Jesus actually lived in his 33 years on earth. 
Jesus lived a perfectly righteous, sinless life in every manner and every way. So you can understand that. He was perfectly righteous in thought, word, and deed. He never thought anything wrong. He never spoke anything wrong. And he never did anything wrong. That's what it means to be perfectly righteous. Try to really understand that. Get that deep down. And when you put your faith in Christ, Paul says, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. This is imputed righteousness. When you call on Jesus and ask him to come into your heart and to be the Lord of your life and save you from your sin, the Holy Spirit of Jesus comes and lives in your heart. You've asked him to come into your heart and Jesus by his spirit enters your heart and he credits the perfect righteous life of Jesus to your account. It's imputed to you. It's given to you. It's credited to you as if you yourself lived that perfect righteous life in thought, word, and deed. It's incredible. It's incredible. And not only that, all of your sin and disobedience that you ever committed in your life, it is credited to Jesus at the cross. That exchange, that imputed righteousness is the heart of the Christian gospel, right? The exchange of all of your sin, past, present, and future for the perfect righteous life of Jesus. So three types of righteousness. Self-righteousness. You don't want to have any of it. You do want to live in a lifestyle righteousness, but you're not trusting in it in any way for your salvation. You're trusting only in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin and the salvation of your soul. You want to abandon every form of self-righteousness or trust or reliance on anything you do good to have your sins forgiven or have a relationship with God. You want to know if you're a Christian, if you've received Jesus, you have the imputed righteousness of Christ. The perfect righteous life of Christ has been credited to you in your salvation and all of your sin, past, present, and future has been put to Jesus at the cross. He gave you his righteous life and willingly took your sinful life. The most loving thing ever conceived in the mind of God. That someone would take the perfect righteous life they lived in thought, word, and deed and offer it to you and me. And in exchange, ask us to give them the most disgusting, vile thing, my sinful and disgusting life. That's the incredible heart of the Christian gospel. And as C.S. Lewis said, could not have been made up by human beings. Paul says in Galatians 1 that it's not something he made up. But he was given this understanding by Jesus himself. And now when you have the imputed righteousness of Christ, which everyone who's received him and called on him to be their Lord and Savior, everyone has that that's truly saved. Now you want to live your life day in and day out in what's called lifestyle righteousness. You do want to live for Christ. You do want to do good deeds for him. You do want to love him. You do want to do what's right and everything. You want to think about what's right so you can do what's right simply because it's right. And then you repent when you don't do it. And that's a lifestyle righteousness. But you, 
You cannot have any lifestyle righteousness until you first abandon self-righteousness and receive Jesus Christ. And in so doing, receive his imputed righteousness. And now once those things are in order and you're saved, now you spend the rest of your life living in lifestyle righteousness. Not in any way to help you be saved, but because you love Jesus and because you are saved. And this is how you want to live. Father, we thank you for the incredible word of God. Father, I pray that everyone who hears this podcast would abandon self-righteousness in any way and that they would run to the foot of the cross. Lord, that, that they would run, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that comes through faith. I pray that everyone who doesn't know you would run to Christ run to the foot of the cross, receive Jesus as their Savior, and would receive his perfect righteous life in exchange for their sinful life. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the word of God. We ask you to help us today, those that know you and have the righteousness of Christ. Help us, Lord, to say these things over and over again, to write them, to say them, to speak them, for it is a safeguard. It's good for us to hear the word of God. It's good for us to hear about the son of God and the gospel of God. Father, help us to have no confidence in anything we do to save us from our sin, but only in what Jesus has done. And Father, I ask you to help us to begin to increasingly grow moment by moment in just seeing that nothing matters but Jesus, that we'd be like our father, our spiritual father, the apostle Paul, and consider everything a rubbish except knowing Jesus more and walking with him more, Lord. Father, I thank you for your mercy on our lives. I thank you that you give us wives and husbands and children and families to enjoy, and we do enjoy them, Lord. But help us truly, Lord, to more and more and more have a heart for Jesus, to know Jesus and to love Jesus. Father, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. For more information about our ministry, please visit www.kingdomd.org.